Welcome to the program, everybody. You just stepped inside of Psychotic Bump School, the place where education and entertainment meet at the intersection of funk and soul. My name is DJ Rome, and I want to welcome you to another exciting edition of Psychotic Bump School. So, ladies and gentlemen, tonight, oh, we have an amazingly full show. Uh, we have the election finally behind us for 2022. Uh, all the races are, have just about been settled. The Democrats did maintain the Senate. The Republicans did, in fact, take the House. So we're going to have a divided Congress, y'all. And we have a runoff election coming up in Atlanta, Georgia, on December 6th. That's not too far in the future. So we're going to be talking a very little bit about that as we welcome our guests in this evening. We have strikes looming in the railway systems. We have CEOs and millionaires and billionaires claiming that we are headed for a recession, y'all. And that includes people working for Facebook, Twitter, all of these mega millionaire owned companies are claiming that we are headed for some really rough times in 2023, the latter half of 2023. Let's wait and see. But in the meantime, we have three amazing guests coming through the school tonight. We're going to have our good brother, Mr. Hannibal Taboo. Hannibal Taboo is an award-winning comic book content creator. He's going to be helping us discuss Black Panther 2, Wakanda Forever. And it stars Letitia Wright, Angela Bassett. And it is a tribute to the late, great Chadwick Boseman. How does the general public... Uh, feel about Black Panther and what's Hannibal's perspective. It's always fascinating to hear from this good brother. So he's going to be talking to us about Wakanda forever. That's Hannibal Taboo joining us this evening. We're also going to be joined by Asher Laub. He is a violinist out of New York, uh, specifically Buffalo, New York. Uh, he's known for having a very eclectic approach to music where he fuses both classical hip hop and all kinds of music styles into a very unique musical presentation and experience. That's Asher Laub joining us out of New York. And I'm proud to welcome this good sister. We spoke to her a little while ago, and I'm going to be bringing it out for the first time. She goes by the name of Kenilworth Katrina. This good sister is hailing from Washington, D.C., and she has relocated to California. And she's now making her headway as an artist artist on the West Coast from the East. The good sister Kenilworth Katrina is also joining us this evening. So that's going to be our lineup. And you might want to call your friends and family to the radio or the computer because we are about to set it off. So this is KCWG, the truth.com. My name is DJ Rome. Welcome to Psychotic Bump School. Stay tuned for more. We're going to kick off our show with the review of Black Panther 2 Wakanda Forever with our special guest Hannibal Taboo. After this. This is Hannibal Taboo, and you're listening to Psychotic Bump School with your host, DJ Rome, on KCWG, thetruth.com, the best internet radio station on the planet. 521, now it's 621, yeah. 630, man, I got to get up, but I don't want to get up. But me, I know I mess up, and I can never give up. I got the tunnel vision, and I'm on a mission, got the energy, nani. Now you got some for me.
Sufferage so make a boy like me go crazy crazy I look at my mother sister I said I can all be lazy Touch boy now only hunger feel make a brother go wickedy Thanks I know for snitch on this if I keep it secrecy Look like I tell my big homies if I do music he can't spare me I do my own so they laugh Tell me give me the cop Just in a me be the future people they look like say I the cop Oh yeah tell me the person for this generation with the bitchy gap We are back. KCWG, the truth.com. This program is called Psychotic Bump School. My name is DJ Rome. And ladies and gentlemen, we have the latest installment in this Marvel Cinematic Universe. That's right. You know, I always get so excited to talk about anything Marvel because most of the movies I do enjoy, some of them have kind of, hmm, well, you know, uh, that's why you find that I don't uh, have a con uh, a commentary or a panel discussion or an interview about every single Marvel release. But some of them do intrigue me. And the one that it is, is intriguing me right now for sure is the sequel to the Black Panther blockbuster. That's right. In recent days, ladies and gentlemen, Black Panther Part 2 Wakanda Forever has been released. It's on the big screen and it is tearing it up. It has been the number one box office draw in the nation right now and worldwide. This one, I, I would have to say, I think has a earlier impact globally compared to the first one, which eventually did get there. But this one is starting off really strong. And so uh, reviews have been largely positive, but there have been some consternation in there as well. So there's no better consternation uh, a BS detector when it comes to comic movies or books turning to the big screen than this brother right here who can help us sort through all that. This good brother, y'all know this good cat. I know I'm mumbling here, but this good brother is an award-winning comic book content creator. He knows his stuff. He's been in the game. He's a writer. He's an author. He's a filmmaker. The good brother does it all. So it's always an honor to welcome back my good brother, Mr. Hannibal Taboo. Mr. Taboo, are you in the house? Yes, sir. I'm in the house like Alfonso Ribeiro. Yes, sir. <laughs> Welcome back, good brother. Well, you know, I'm always anxious to get your take. Black Panther 2 Wakanda Forever is out. And yes, sir. people feel a certain kind of way about it. And I did see it. And I know you did as well. And I was just curious what your general impressions were. So there's a lot to get to with this one, I am sure. So what is your overall take on Wakanda Forever, Mr. Hannibal Taboo? <laughs> I was very happy with uh, the film. It was an enormously difficult creative challenge to uh, both 
accomplish everything that Ryan and the cast wanted to do and fit into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I think they did that. The film serves as a meditation on grieving because as, mm. you know, as a culture for the last two or however many years, because I know 2020 went on for about 70 years, um, as a culture, right. we've suffered. We have suffered loss and we have uh, in many ways not really addressed that loss. So many people focused on getting back to normal that we have not really sat with that grief. We have not really meditated on that grief. And this film was like, no, y'all finna get this. We finna get through this. And mm -hmm. and it really did so in a way that both moved forward the meta story for the Marvel Universe, uh, but also did so in a way that was intensely personal and intensely specific to the loss of our brother Chadwick. So, I mean, mm -hmm. there's just everything that they needed to do, they they did. And, and I've said it many times that Ryan Coogler does not miss and he absolutely did not miss this time either. I hear you, man. We had a guest on last week, Casey Phillips Brown, who uh, said essentially the same thing. Ryan Coogler has never done us dirty. And mm -hmm. I have to say that there's a lot of people that share that sentiment. So, ladies and gentlemen, the film is out. So we're going to spoil. So this is your uh, first and last warning. Three, two and one. OK, so what? In your opinion, Mr. Taboo, did this film get right, given the enormous task it was facing uh, to, to, to cover so much territory in lieu of Chadwick Boseman's unexpected and shocking passing in 2020? Uh, what can you tell us about what this film absolutely nailed to the wall, got it right? They absolutely got it right, Mr. Annabelle Taboo. This, this could be a really lengthy list because, first of all, they worked in the fact that T'Challa made the exact same decisions that Chadwick did that up until the absolute last minute, when there was no way to hide what was happening, T'Challa let on like everything was fine. And in doing so, uh, it, it created a great story arc for uh, Shuri, because Shuri is used to being the smartest person in the room. She's used to being like, oh, there's a problem? Let me fix that. Mm -hmm. But she didn't find out in time to be able to fix it, and yeah. there was nothing that she could do. Her enormous intellect uh, uh, it not only failed her, but it wasn't what she needed to do do, do this because Chadwick and T'Challa made a very personal decision to hide what was happening with them, to, to go on their own recognizance there. So that creates this enormous, wonderful, dramatic tension for uh, 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 Shuri throughout the film in, in wrestling with what to do next. How do I move on from this? And that's really how do I move on, as I said earlier, the question that we're all really wrestling with in uh, a lot of things in our lives, given the fact that the world is really different in many ways. That was absolutely fantastic. Mm. Um, the character of Namor, I could not be happier with because on one side, they captured everything they needed to from the comics. Namor is the messiest Real Housewives of Atlantis person that you've <laughs> ever possibly seen. Um, he, he's, you know, he's emotional. He makes bad decisions. He's, I mean, he's a train wreck, but in the best possible way that mm -hmm. could, you know, fight with the Hulk and fly and whatnot. So that's fantastic. But in doing so in a way that was so true and so richly enmeshed in Mayan culture, uh, was just an overwhelming accomplishment that all the way down to the hand gesture that the, the, the uh, uh people make is specifically taken from the hieroglyphic-esque reliefs that are in Mayan and Aztec culture, showing this gesture being made mostly by gods. I mean, 
all of this stuff is really scarily deeply researched and well rooted in that in a way that makes sense uh in the same way that you know marvel changed flag smasher to make it make more sense uh this many things that happened here to make namor more logical down to the explanation of how he got that name and i was just like everything here is everything here is exactly what i need for for us as a culture to see namor and the atlanteans come out and burn down that plantation and take on those spanish uh uh uh, colonists was i mean that's (laughs) that's kind of emotional Mm. catharsis that it was like I can't believe these white people gave him this money to kill black white people this way. I can't believe they they gave him this money to Oh my mm-hmm. god. Mm-hmm. So, right, right. So there's a thousand little moments like that. Moments with Angela Bassett in in character where she does things. Uh, Winston Duke stealing every scene that he walks in. There's no scene <laughs> that you see Winston Duke in and he's not like, "Oh, y'all ain't getting no crumbs. I got all these. All these crumbs are mine." <laughs> <laughs> and and Tenoch as as Namor, his his charisma, his presence, his intensity. Uh, there's just so 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 many things they got right down to uh, uh, the new challenges that uh, uh, General Okoye faced. Nakia's role in following through with her her commitment to spreading Wakandan values internationally. I mean, there's mm. I could just go down the list for a long time, but I was very 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 happy with a lot of things that happened there. Wow. That's quite a synopsis. And yeah, I would tend to agree. Winston Duke was uh, quite funny and mm-hmm. uh, ironically, the voice of reason. In, in mm-hmm. I mean, I thought that was crazy. I learned about M'Baku from you. And you said yeah. that in the comics, he was always presented with so much derision and not mm-hmm. really such an intellectual. Pre- how, how did you describe M'Baku before? Because he, he, he he's he's given justice on the screen compared to the comic books, right? A thousand percent. Yeah. In the comics, he's presented as one, a villain all the time. And two, not very smart. He kind of bumbles mm-hmm. through things. He, I mean, he he's he's presented as a punchline, whereas and I remember this from the funerary scene with, with uh, uh, M'Baku talking to Shuri, that his his wisdom and his his kind of centeredness is based in his character. He's an isolationist. He believes in Wakanda first. And that has not changed. But even when they did the callback where she like, even a child who scoffs at tradition, and he, he said, mm-hmm. no one who's had as much taken from them as you have could be considered a child. Mm-hmm. And to bring mm-hmm. that back from the first movie, I was like, y'all are just freaking killing it, fam. Y'all right. are killing it here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, before we get to what you feel like they slightly missed the mark on, I want to ask you something else about him. But there was a scene at the end with M'Baku when mm-hmm. it was a ceremonial waterfall shot, and it was supposed to be an inauguration of the new Black Panther. Mm-hmm. And instead, M'Baku walks out. And mm-hmm. I was. I saw the movie twice and I was feeling how the audience reacted to that. They were confused. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. They didn't really laugh. How how well do you feel that one landed? Because I, I think he meant it as a joke, right? Or knowing M'Baku, did he really see, okay, if it's, if it's Shuri, I can definitely take her. How did you take that moment? Well, one, uh, M'Baku, he would have definitely had thought that he could physically take Shuri, but mm-hmm. he would also recognize that Shuri is smarter than him and that she would not take take him up purely physically. That's she right. would probably do something really, really clever. I'm thinking right. pressure points. Uh, and that's not <laughs> what he wanted. Uh, but <laughs> but um, 
there is a new Wakanda, basically. This is not, this cannot continue in the way the Wakanda has continued for thousands of years. And part of that mm-hmm. uh, is, is shown by what Mbaku did at the falls that, you know, he's like, we've always done things this way. That's not necessarily how we're going to do things moving forward. Okay, we're listening to the good brother, Mr. Hannibal Taboo. We're breaking down Black Panther 2 Wakanda Forever, available now in a theater near you across the planet, y'all. Okay, uh, that's the good stuff. Where, in your opinion, Mr. Taboo, did they slightly fall short? Where does Black Panther 2 Wakanda Forever kind of miss the mark for you? Okay, the number one thing, and I know why at this point, the number one thing, though, there's a lot of scenes that I thought were very dimly lit that they did a lot of night shooting, that they did a lot of scenes mm. with uh, lower light. This is done from a financial standpoint in filmmaking because it's cheaper. You don't have to worry as much about the details, and about no. fixing things in post or whatever. It's cheaper to film in the dark. However, mm. it's also harder to see. <laughs> mm. I remember all of those seasons of the X-Files being like, seriously, could we just get a freaking light bulb in this joint? So wow. um, for me, there was a number of scenes I was just, I wanted to be able to see what was happening in a more vivid way. Um, when I get this film on Disney Plus, I'm probably gonna turn the brightness so far up on my iPad that you oh, know wow. I'll drain I'll drain the electricity. But um <laughs> that's that's one thing that and it's a personal thing for me that I'm very touchy mm-hmm. about. It it did not affect storytelling so much because you know if I'd have seen Namor coming out of the water for uh Shorty and Ramonda earlier, that might have spoiled it a little bit, but mm-hmm. I still want it. It's <laughs> still what I want. Well, since we're That's going the, there, the, the hardest thing I had to watch in a dark screen was Alien versus Predator, I think, part two. I didn't even <laughs> see it, but I heard so many bad things about the lighting that I didn't even bother. But yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's 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 a recurrent. I mean, I said it about The Mandalorian. I said it about multiple things. I would. Uh-huh. I just I'm like, I get it. It's, it's expensive. Please spend the money. I'll I'll pay more if I can see it. <laughs> so, right. I'll pay even more if I can see it on Disney Plus in my house. Okay. But that notwithstanding. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, so there's that. Um, there was for me, I wanted more of a Tuma. I wanted more of Namora. That I got a lot of Namor mm-hmm. and I got a lot of a very good look at Talakan, but I didn't have as much of a sense of the culture of these people who essentially uh in a Stevie Wonder Saturn way abandoned the surface world. They were like, no, we're not messing with y'all. This is not what we want. Um, mm-hmm. And they created this alternate society, society that I'm fascinated by. Uh, mm-hmm. Lead their characters, though Atuma, as who in the comics, truthfully, Atuma is very much like Mbaku in the comics. He's very messy and he's very loud and he's mm-hmm. very outward. But we didn't get very much Atuma in this movie. We didn't get very much of Namora, who in the comics is uh, Namor's cousin and who is you know on a par with him, mm-hmm. but. This Namora, she didn't have a little flappy foot wings. She can't fly. She can't do the things that Namor does. And what she can do, we didn't get a real distinction for her. So mm. I would have liked a little more time. I would have liked a little more time to do a lot of this. A lot of people have said to me, what if this, instead of being a movie, was a 10-hour Disney Plus series? And I would be like, I would throw an extra $30 at that without even thinking. Uh, there's, there's nothing I would do to spend more time with all of these people. Uh, mm-hmm. would would absolutely do it for me. But, you know, this is a cinematic franchise. I understand they're building it as a cinematic franchise. And since the first film made a billion dollars in 27 days, the first film ever to do that, I get why they would want to make it a movie. From my storytelling standpoint, I'm like, I'm still hung- I'm still hungry. I, I got what I needed here, but I would I would absolutely 
I would absolutely take more if I could get it. Absolutely. Well, more along the line of art imitating life, uh, a quick side note, the Election Integrity Act of 2021 almost threatened <laughs> to uh, derail this film altogether. Ryan Cooler was talking about in the pre-production stage where mm -hmm. they were considering boycotting this film. And I mentioned that, of course, because Raphael Warnock and Herschel Walker are headed for a runoff, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. And it is a very tense still political season, although the House and Senate have been determined. But uh, this film was almost, well, Ryan Coogler was committed to the project regardless, but that was a factor in the making of this film, whether or not to actually consider boycotting, because they did a lot of shooting for this film in Atlanta, uh, right, mm -hmm. Henry? Yes, sir. Yeah. Uh, there's a very complicated set around that because Tyler Perry, for all the challenges he's made, has made one of the best possible studios to film in in Atlanta. And a lot of people use it. Uh, so mm. Georgia, uh, here, and here's what, uh, I listen to Stacey Kemp in this regard. It's like, we understand that people are, are frustrated by this, but there are people here on the ground that are going to suffer if we, we, we take our resources out of this. That, yes, you don't want to spend your money in a red state where redistricting, redistricting is disenfranchising people. But mm -hmm. the people... I mean, you saw how many black people was on the screen in that movie. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, those are black Absolutely. people that got paid that will get residuals, that will get financial remuneration from this film for a significant amount of time. They'll be able to use it on their resumes and so on and so forth. So they'll be able to lift themselves up out of a condition where normally that opportunity would not be offered to people in the South. Mm -hmm. Normally, these will be people who would not get this kind of access. So, right. Um, that's right. It's 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 a sticky it's a sticky situation to be able to try to navigate. When one of my good friends, Michael Datcher, he has a poem that says, "Trying to make my black man life live up to my black man rhetoric," um, and that can be a difficult balance to walk. But uh, if, by and large, we try to do more good than harm, which I definitely think Wakanda Forever does, that with mm -hmm. the images that it puts forth, with the seriousness, with the richness and in meshness in in multiple uh, 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 indigenous and black and brown cultures, that the fact that Governor Kemp got some tax dollars out of it is a small uh, a small mm -hmm. sacrifice to make. You know, we pay sales taxes, so we right. all of us have orphaned. You know, uh, drone strikes have made orphans in the Middle East on our diet. All of us, yeah. blood is on all of our hands. So yeah. we have to accept what can we do to overcome the, the the evil that we cannot avoid doing? Mm, that's deep. Shouts out to Stacey Abrams, uh, who got 84% of the black male vote out state again. Ha ha ha. Yeah. Uh, before we let you go, good brother, uh, thank you for that. Thank you for that. Did, see, this is why I have Hannibal here. I knew he was going to be ready for that curveball. We didn't even talk about what we were going to talk about, but I know I can go anywhere with this cat. And I know that he's going to study even the making of this film and all the politics that are involved with that. And we are in a heavy duty election season. So uh, mm -hmm. shout out to you, Mr. Hannibal Taboo, for always being prepared. But uh, back to the film, uh, man, uh, I wish I had more time with you, but Ironheart mm -hmm. is a new character and she she represents a bit of a female version of Iron Man to, to put it uh, very amateurishly. Uh, what was your take on her? Uh, arrival to the big screen, into this franchise, into the canon of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Ironheart, Mr. Tabu. I was very glad to see her uh, kind of separated from the uh, Tony Stark kind of legacy in this regard. I was happy to see that part. Mm -hmm. I am 
one of the things that bothers me that is that in in the messiness of Namor, the actual villains of this film got away scot free. That an MIT professor stole the work of a young black woman and made a lot of money uh-huh. off of it that she did not and caused an international incident. Yet that we don't even know that person's name and that person mm. has not been made to pay consequences. So that sort of stuff bothers me a lot. Uh, well, they did, a, they, did they do an email Udoka on, on the brother? <laughs> it's cold. It's a cold piece of work, man. It's not, I'm not happy. I'm not happy. So there's that factor. But from the standpoint of, of her, I mean, she, the actress did everything that needed to be done there. And the role uh, accomplished establishing this new young genius. And moreover, put forth this idea that two of the smartest people in the entire world are two black women who aren't even 22 years old. Come on. That, you know, the, the, and and my daughter got to see that on the screen. My daughter got to watch that and see, you know, there was a story about a young woman who, when Ironheart was introduced, she was 15 years old. And she thought, oh, my God, I could be an engineer. And now she's graduated, you know, years later as, you know, an MIT uh, engineer, just like Riri Williams was. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. There is a positive, like I said, there's, there's the question of doing a positive impact beyond whatever challenges may be. Um, I do I do think that the Riri Williams character will get a lot better treatment in the Ironheart Disney Plus series they're talking about doing. Um, mm-hmm. And I do think that Namor's messiness is shown by, I'm willing to kill a teenager over, you know, sure. trying to do this because that'll settle it. No, no, you, you walk around in underwear all day. You're just looking for attention. So... <laughs> Fish man. <laughs> Fish man. <laughs> exactly. Well, man. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. So, go yeah, ahead. I was I, I was overall happy with her. But again, like I said, give me more. There's there's no there's no point when I wasn't like with any of the characters here. I wasn't like, let me sit down with you for an entire freaking episode. Let me mm-hmm. just let me just let me just marinate in it like Madge with the palm olive. Come on, let's do this. Absolutely, let's do this. Well, let me tell you this, Sam, before I let you go, because this is probably going to be a conversation for another day. Because we're not going to have time to get that deep into it. Because the empowerment on the screen, I, I get it. Because mm-hmm. I, I sense that, and this movie was extremely cathartic. I don't care what people say. I am pro brothers. You know, I'm pro sisters too. But you know, some people had a problem with the the women dominating so much and fighting uh what was the uh namor's name main left hand or right hand nemesis big man atuma yeah atuma and okoye was going toe-to-toe with this cat and there there was this ongoing trope uh hannibal taboo i guess people were trying to compare it to the woman king which i have not seen so I, i i can't even open that can but this sense that black women on screen depicted this way give an impression to the rest of the world that the men are, uh, if anything, subservient or in support of, I mean, however you want to put it, but the strong black woman trope, uh, I've seen some discussions about that, Hannibal Taboo, and I'm wondering if you have. I generally try to avoid that kind of thing because uh, in the same way that, you know, white men have come out and said, oh my God, after having 95% of the characters, we've now only got 93.5% of the characters. <laughs> We're being erased. I'm like, if someone else getting something, you feel takes something from you, then your position is not as secure as you believe. Mm. And your your weakness is showing. Your, your insecurity is showing. Your fear is showing. Mm. Because there's no point in which Black women getting something, a moment of shine, takes anything away from anybody else. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
you know, because I heard all this, you know, the re recast T'Challa, blah, blah, blah thing. And this, this as the post credit show, they're like, okay, sure, we'll recast T'Challa. Great, he's six. Have fun, you jerks. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, wow. there's no, any anybody who's saying that, oh, this shows, you know, uh, uh, black men are subservient or in support. So have you ever been to a black church? You better go. You better wow. understand your own freaking culture, fam. Oh, that's why you a know? lot of black men have left the church, brother. <laughs> but well, I take the, point. in the same point is like there's no the black woman. The black woman is the most uh, 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 crapped upon person on this entire planet. So for them to get any shine, any moment, any several scenes to pass the Bechdel test where they're talking to two women talking to each other about not a man, you know, that's. Mm. <laughs> there's a quote from uh, Boots Riley from one of his albums where mm. uh, uh, somebody was describing Los Angeles Rockets. Yeah, yeah, I'm very into Boots. And yeah, uh -huh. uh, it's a, you know, don't you think this is chaos? He's like, no, it's not chaos, it's progress. Mm. Come on. Come on. And there's no, what do they say? There's no progress without struggle, as they say. And this isn't, you're right, it should not be a zero-sum game. And a lot of people look yes. at it that way. It's like, we can't have them rise because it's going to take something from us somehow. Uh, that's something I could definitely connect to. Well, I wish I had more time. I did promise you we'd be uh, uh, succinct. But this has been the good brother, Mr. Hannibal Taboo of Operative.net. Good brother, can you tell us what's coming up for you? And thank you for this marvelous take on Black Panther 2, Wakanda Forever, now available in theaters near you. But what's going on with Operative.net next? And the good brother, Mr. Hannibal Taboo. Mr. Hannibal Taboo? Well, two things. In stores right now, well, on digital booksellers right now, you can buy War Medicine, which is the supernatural Western comic book miniseries. It presents a half-black, half-shying woman who uh, goes on a quest for vengeance. Uh, and again, that did not take anything away from any men. But <laughs> a, rising by, a rising tide raises all boats. Uh, and That's right. also, uh, you can pre-order right now. We're deep in edits and we're getting the art in for a Black-owned Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition uh, campaign setting book written by me and Damien Poitier, who was yes. in uh, Captain America Civil War. He was the first Thanos in the Avengers movie. He's right. uh, Chains in the Payday video game. And it's called mm. Sundering the Nation Beneath Our Feet. It's from Unlikely Hero Studios. You can pre-order at uhstudios.com slash kickit2, the number two. Uh, and it is going to be a very thick book with uh, adventures you can see and, and visions that look like you and you know, it's mm. going to be the most ethnic. Uh, Damien describes it as like, we're bringing color to your campaign. And uh, I'm very excited to be bringing this book out, uh, which should be very, very soon because we're, we're deep in edits and we're almost done.
Okay, we are back. KCWG, thetruth.com. This program's called Psychotic Bump School. My name is DJ Rome. And ladies and gentlemen, uh, I have been looking forward to this conversation for quite some time. I first heard about this good sister when we had our brother on, Wes Felton, out of the DMV. Y'all know that good brother, man. He's been on a couple times before, always putting it down all the way to its final compound. Well, he's had a collaborator that he's been working with on multiple albums, I believe. And they have a project that they just put out not too long ago called Restless Natives. And that's not the only thing this good sister is known for. So I wanna bring her on in here. I wanna hear about this transition she's made from coast to coast. Uh, she's considered an American singer, songwriter, rapper, producer, arranger, and actress, born and raised in the DMV, specifically Washington, D.C. I guess there's a difference between Maryland and Virginia between the three. I'm going to talk to her about that, too. But uh, she's known for having a very soulful delivery and her lyrics be hitting like a tank. So it's my honor, ladies and gentlemen, to welcome for the very first time to Psychotic Bump School, the good sister, Kenilworth Katrina. Miss Katrina, how you doing, sis? <laughs> Thank you. I'm doing fine. Thank you so much for that grand intro <laughs> look it is well due i have been looking Thank forward to so this much. so uh can you talk to us a little bit about washington dc how you met wes felton uh we're going to get into your music and just listen to uh mm -hmm. the stories of the creations of it but how did this whole thing come about how'd you meet wes felton oh man wes is just super 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 dope um and shout yeah. out to him too man yes shout sir out to my brother wes yeah i met Wes a few years back. Um, I know the first time I met him, it was with him and Raheem Devon. They were at Listen Vision. Um, I believe they were um just got finished being interviewed and I forget um I think who it was that was interviewing them, but they were there and I had met both of them at the same time then. Mm. And um, you know, we followed each other on Instagram and then after that we just, you know, just became like real cool through um through social media and um how we really connected was the first time i got uh asked him to be on one of my tracks and once you know which is called gold um and it's featuring him and and man we just be, we just been after that that's it inseparable man as far as music like mm -hmm. i on his stuff mine and so on and so on what year did you say that was um you know, I don't really remember what year that was, but I know West now probably for about, I want to say about, it, was, it had to be about, it's got to be about six or seven years now. Mm -hmm. Got to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's a trip because it's definitely. like, yeah, because I've, I've spoken to people before and it's like, damn, when did we meet? It just feels like you've always been there. You know? Right, right. It's, it's been scary, a minute. You know? Yeah. It just yeah, feels like you've yeah, always yeah. been there. So you, you guys hit it off. You, you invited them to play on your track. Uh, how did you get up the gumption mm -hmm. to do that? Because you have to have a certain level of confidence because them cats are good. Oh, yeah, <laughs> you know yeah, saying? they are. Exactly. The, the crossroads yeah. are the bombs. So. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, definitely. So it, it, I've, never, I've, I've never done anything with um, Raheem. Mm -hmm. uh, we've talked about doing things together, but we've never um, done it. But Wes, mm -hmm. um, reaching out to him was easy. Like, that was nothing. You know what I'm saying? He right was on. dope. I knew that he um, liked my music because he told me he did. You know, he thought I was dope. I thought he was dope. So, mm -hmm. of course, I didn't reach out to him right away. But I want to say within, within like a year or so, okay. I had reached out to him, to, you know, to do a song. Just building up a rapport with him and, you know, mm -hmm. being cool. It ain't all about the music as soon as you meet somebody. You know what I'm saying? You want to get mm -hmm. to know him and let him know that, you you know, you're not just trying 
you know what I'm saying, uh, jump on a wave and get, get clout chase. You know what I'm saying? I ain't never trying to be on that and like that. Just just from MC to MC. You know what I'm saying? Dope artist right. to dope artist. Like I'm trying to collab with you. So that's right. also how I came. Like, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, Wes yeah. is very much a storyteller with his lyrics, and he just grips yeah. his voice. And you you kind of have that same magic too. So how would you describe how you um, man, it's always this corny questions that interviewers ask. It's like your, your poetic uh, lyricism stems from mm -hmm. something. It comes from something because both I, I notice in your music, it's got a very soulful touch. I was listening to something on YouTube and I hear a lot of strings. Mm -hmm. I hear like maybe an old school sample in it and I hear the yeah, orchestration yeah. and the musicality yeah. and the musicianship on the track, you know, whether it was sampled or maybe you guys are replaying stuff. But what what would you say your poetic lyrical philosophy is, and who are some artists that we would know that kind of influenced Kenilworth Katrina? Oh yeah. Um, first of all, I appreciate you for even um, you know paying attention and listening and catching stuff like that because I definitely um, get a lot of um, my uh, uh, a lot of people that uh, have uh, inspired me, a lot of inspiration from the old school. And um, so um, with Wes, it's so dope because Wes is, um, he's my big brother, right? So I, I look up to him as far as lyrically. And so he'll, he'll go places that I can go, but I wouldn't think to go. And mm -hmm. then he'll bring stuff like that out of me. Like he'll make me go in a storytelling uh, form uh, uh, or he'll make me go somewhere that I wouldn't normally go uh, you know, mm -hmm. Shane the Fame, which is one of my favorites on there, or a tribute, or or this or that. He'll do stuff to bring like the best out of me. You know what I'm saying? So I love working with him because it's always gonna be. I don't know what he's gonna bring, and that's how it's supposed to be. You never should know. Even when you write, your pen should never know what what you. Mm -hmm. You should never know what could come out of you. You know what I'm saying? And I strive for that every time. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. But as far as um my creativity, um. I am very big on not writing the first thing that comes down to me. Like I'm very, I will, I, I will spend time to make sure that I get a hit record or a dope song or, a, mm -hmm. you know, like I'm going to make sure, you know what I'm saying? I'm going to make sure it's got to make sense. It mm -hmm. got to be simple where it's not over somebody's head straight to the point, different things. And I read a lot, research a lot on how to be a better writer and, and different mm. things that I listen to and people I listen to, but I listen to everything from A to Z and that goes for all genres just to like quickly, I could go from Who Fighters to Moonchild to uh, Moonchild is the dope. Clark Sisters to <laughs> Like I am all Donny Hathaway too. Come like on. I am all over the like. There is no like I am weird all over the place. Like <laughs> even like the Carpenters. Um, like I am wow. all over the place. Like I'm telling you, like it, it's no. I can't even think of everybody in my head because my my mind is like like how a computer be having like a hundred tabs up. That's yeah. how it is with me with music. Wow. Like my playlists are out of this world they mm -hmm. jump around like you don't know what you're going to hear you don't you just right. don't know right you know what i'm saying and so and that's how i am as an artist you just don't know i could come out with some hardcore rap some trap type shit 
to I could make an EDM song. I could go to mm. a gospel. I could go to R&B. I could go to hip hop. I could go to boom bap. I could go, like there is no mm. it's pop. I could go. It's no could because that's all I listen to. Everything I just named, I listen to all those genres. Mm. So that's in me. So when I hear a pop beat, I might write to it mm-hmm. if I if I if I'm feeling it. If right. I hear some acid jazz, I'm really into jazz now. Like the older I get, jazz is like my favorite genre. Come on. And that, I have hundreds of songs that I've wrote to like acid jazz or jazz or like different. I listen to that. Centaur Jackson, Mega Jazz. Like it's all, I'm all over the place. The last poet, like I'm all mm-hmm. over the place. Mm-hmm. So that comes out in, in depending on, you know what I'm saying, what type of beat that comes out. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Well, see, a a rich musical pedigree like that is bound to have boundless sources for it. Because we did a tribute to Lamont Dozier a few shows ago of Holland Dozier. Oh, wow. Wrote all those songs for Motown. And it's like he was a a classically trained uh, pianist. You know, he knew how to play. Later on, he had an album called Black Bach. And I didn't know at the time, but yeah, until our guest, A. Scott Galloway, broke down his story and we, we, you know, we paid tribute to the brother. But just the fact that he was so committed to his craft, the the, the craft of making music, you know what I'm saying? And then songs like I Hear a Symphony by the Supreme suddenly makes sense. It's like, okay, he wrote that. So he's classically trained. So now I get it after all these years, you know? And so it's it's yeah. nice to hear all those musical tapestries that overlap. They they have a, a, a origin story, and so I, I love listening to how you kind of piece it all together because it seems like it doesn't make sense, right? But when right. it comes through you, right. though, when it comes through you, all that stuff right. mixed in there, it's all in it there. Makes it makes sense, like, right? It, it makes <laughs> it might be a hip hop acid jazz joint, like you said, but it's very right. Foo Fighters. Too. Right. Some of that right. is represented by the freedom to be unlimited and boundless in what you're doing. So it's all in there. That's, right? that, that's what it's about. That's <laughs> what it's about. That's <laughs> what it's about. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> you're supposed <laughs> to, as a musician, as an artist, to be able to just say and do whatever you want. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Man, man. So when you in the studio, you guys did this Restless Native joint. Um, yeah, you talked to us a little bit about some of that. Uh, you and Wes pretty much did that whole thing together, right? Oh man, let me tell you something that process was dope as hell. And when I heard the songs, because he had um three out of the what is it, one, two, three, I think it's like six songs up there, five or six, three out of those were already done. And so when I heard them, it was just like, oh my god, you mm. know what I'm saying, like. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, man, you know what I'm saying? So, um, you know, he sent me the joints over, you know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. then, of course, we recorded everything, um, you know, with him. So we mm-hmm. was right there together when we was laying everything down. So I was like, they were, oh. but the beats, they just like blew me away. And right. then the verses that he had to, um, it was just, it was just mind blowing, man. I, like I told you, like that's big bro to me. I look up to him. So oh, he does like, his thing. He just kind of just making sure I keep up. Yeah, like you know, that should be like fucking inspiration for me. Like, oh man, I gotta keep up with him. Like I yes. like that. That's like a challenge for me and shit. Like, okay, I got, I got, I, I can't slum, I can't slum on here because he already right. talking that shit. You uh, know what I'm saying? Uh huh. Uh huh. <laughs> 
And I yeah. told her that too. I was like, man, you really made me step my shit up. Like, and that's what it's about. That's mm-hmm. what it's about. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? So, well, remember that verse. With people like that. Yeah. Absolutely. Remember that verse that Kendra dropped a few years ago, the control verse, and people were like vibing out. You do you remember? Oh, Did you see that young yeah, Google yeah. clip with uh, Ninth Wonder? And everybody was like, dang, how are you going to answer this? He done said, I'm the king of New York. But Young Guru and them said, no, he's not he not going at your coach, bro. He's just saying, I, I, I'm on. And I'm on because right, of lyrics. Right. I'm on because right, of lyrics. Right. thing you guys say that you can't get on for. I'm on. So right, you're going to do this. Yeah. You got to beat me on this microphone. You got you to yeah. just, you know, there's no gimmicks. You know, you can't, you yeah. know, I'm not impressed with all that. It's like, I'm, it's about this microphone. Yeah. About this yeah. music, you gotta beat me, bro. You gotta beat me. You gotta outrap me, dog. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And that's what it's about, man. It's about man. If a nigga, if you ain't stepping it up, if somebody ain't pushing you like that, mm. man, you got you gotta get with you gotta get with the right people, man. You gotta wow. get with the right people. You ain't wow. with the right people. Yes, you know yes. everybody I hang with, rap with is dope. Everybody I'm I've with or have done work with, I sh- I have shook in my head many times or a few times to something they wrote you know mm-hmm. what i'm saying like that's yes. what it's about yes. you know what i'm saying like yeah. oh man well get up out your chair and walk away or you know what i'm saying like mm-hmm. if they ain't doing that <laughs> wow right 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 and i don't want to be right what am i like i don't want to murder everybody on the track that's not fun right Right. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to mm-hmm. murder everybody. I want people to, you know, I had somebody tell me this. Shout out to my man, Enoch. <laughs> but I got to say this. This is the funniest, one of the funniest things I ever heard about myself. And he said, um, you know, man, um, I had to come on, you know, me and him have a, had a song together. I can't remember the name of it, but it was dope. Um, it was a dope sh- song. Shout out to Enoch. And he was like, Man, I came on I rap first because I know once they hear your verse, they turn the song off. Gonna burn it down. Like he told me, like, I'm telling like a trader, like, listen, once mm-hmm. they hear your verse, that's the end of the song. The rap. And it's like, yep. yeah, that's it. Man. Yeah, I just laugh. You know what I'm saying? Because it's like, I, and I always try to bring that on whatever I want. See? Because I want you to remember me. You know what I'm saying? I want you to remember me. That's right. Okay, so that's studio, that's writing, that's collaboration to to make the creation. How does that translate yeah. to on stage, live performance? Oh, man. That's my favorite part. See? So, um, <clears throat> I rehearse and practice no matter how good you think you is, you're always supposed to do that. But because I'm so passionate along with rehearsing and practicing and wanting to give a good show, and want to be creative, um, it comes out un, like without me even think about it. It's like a switch. I had somebody tell me one time, many times people have talked to me like, man, you just be chilling and you are nice and quiet and humble and cooling. And then when you get on stage, it's like you a whole nother person. And that's really how it is because mm-hmm. it's out of body for me. Mm. It's like an out of body experience for me. But once the once the show is once I'm done with my show, then I come back to to myself, Katrina. But once I'm on stage, I'm Kenilworth Katrina. Like I don't even know how that looked. And so sometimes I have looked at clips of myself and <laughs> be and shake my own head. Well, because it's like wow, look at you. You on fire. 
You what was else? on fire because I'm passionate on the stage. Uh huh. I'm passionate, uh-huh. and and it's like, but I can't see that because I'm I'm doing it. You know what I'm saying? Really, so it's like a light switch for me. I would call it like in my <laughs> field of electric. <laughs> I, it's like a light switch. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that that's, that's get that gets turned on. Right once I hit the stage, it's the on. Yeah. And see, the beautiful part about that is like, unless you're somebody like you, Katrina, you, mm-hmm. you, you don't really care about why it works. You just want to know that when you flip that switch, it's on. And it's like, right. we, we leave it to people like you to figure out, OK, maybe this voltage, maybe this yep. capacitor, is it working? Right. Exactly. You know right. maybe this exactly. resistor right. is yeah. connected to this capacitor. Yeah. Right? But all we care yeah. about on the other yeah. end is like, when this motherfucker goes up, <laughs> is, it I make, right, is it on? Exactly. You know? Like, wow. See, that's what I'm exactly. talking about. Exactly. You shouldn't have to try to figure out whether, listen, right. man. Right. You feel what I'm saying? Like, yeah, you got time to do that at home and all that other right. shit. You shouldn't listen. Right. They want to show. They right. want the shit to work. Right. Yeah. You know what? I just happen to notice yeah. this right here. And uh, okay. this must be some of your acid jazz stuff right here. So what do you think yeah, about what you want? Let's like watch. That. Yeah, let's check this out. Fire, mo fire, mo fire. See that, that, that. See that. That's that rhythm right there. See the heads. The heads know about that. That track right there. The heads know. Of course, exactly. That's the why heads I was know. chosen. See exactly. And see, people don't understand. It's like that was a banger out here in California. You know, Soho dropped that track out of New York, and yeah, yeah, they, they had a completely unrelated track. Like, man, they they did. Talk about! I'm curious to know what their musical story is because I don't know that much about Soho. Shout out to Soho, mm-hmm. but they had a video yeah. with some some ladies singing some tracks, and you'll know the track. I just can't think of it right now. But then when they dropped that, it was mm-hmm. over. I mean, the, yeah. the underground heads were just bopping to that. All the acid jazz, yeah, man. Kelly, I'm sure you guys felt it out there too, and you used it for this track right man. there. So seeing yourself in that, I don't. Could you oh, see yeah. that? I, I know we're on audio, but could you? No, see, I did. 
Okay, but you heard. Okay. Nah, so yeah, no, no, I didn't, but yeah, I guess I, I could hear. Yeah. But you were that's visually. Cool. I was I was actually playing the video. That I knew you only heard the audio. Oh, that's the video dope. To you. Yeah. Yeah. So what what oh, comes man. to mind when you see yourself on video? You know, because knowing what went into making of that, what what comes to mind for you? Oh man. Um, Look like fun. Just like. This, 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 when I see it, it's, it's just always mind blowing to me. Again, like um, mm -hmm. visually though, I think it was dope. Um, I had fun doing it, and it was just like awesome Empress Queen type, but slash jazz, like you know, like the queen of hip hop jazz. Like that's 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 just, wow. that's just what I see. Like I was yeah, yes. I was in that type of bag. Yeah, but that's I loved cool. it. You know that that track is dope. That track has always been dope to me. And always. always. And shout out to jazz yeah. music, because I tell you, um, yes. you know, I, I'm I'm a DJ, uh, Katrina. So it's like we were into samples okay. here. We we like the original track. So people may not know, but that's Wynton Marsalis, the great trumpeter. That's where that lick came oh, from. Oh wow, so, no, I didn't know that. Yeah, for people that love samples and love to dig in them crates, so like, okay, where'd this come from? Yeah. That that, yeah. Little, that little riff in the song is like really short, but um it, it that's Wynton Marsalis the trumpeter wow because when you that think that is crazy because I never would have knew that you never would have known right because it's like you thinking I would have never known yeah and you think you're gonna hear some horns but it's like that piano riff yeah. is everything man everything man that joy hey yeah that joy it's just it's just crazy like yeah I remember um what was the chaos did it over yes too, like, yes it's like like it just that just it just been a, it just been some dope all like for so long. For so it long. Been dope, so yeah. Long. Yeah, that one's yeah. never going anywhere. But man, so yeah. you brought some of that fire to Restless Natives. What I mean, I'm I'm sure all of them mm -hmm. when he sent you those tracks. Uh, which one of those yeah. or a couple? Which one really stood out for you as far as a process of how you approached it lyrically? And oh, definitely, definitely. So he left um, basically the la the tribute song. And mm -hmm. he left um, Shame to Fame kind of up to me. And those two were, mm -hmm. was where he told me what he wanted me to do, like the concept of it. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I was just actually just glad to execute it. And he and he loved it. And so um, just listening to him, uh, like I said, his ideas for it, it was definitely um, something different. Shame to Fame is actually just talking about um, like people that sell their soul for the price of fame. You know, that's stuff mm -hmm. that of course we know about but i have never really like like really dug into that i might have mentioned little things here and there but not a whole verse where i like mm -hmm. over a 16 where i strictly just talked about that and so mm -hmm. that 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 was shame the same and then tribute um which is another one of my favorites and these again are the two last songs of the on the album mm -hmm. um they uh that song is in um talking about you know just paying homage to like all the people that inspired us from back in the day whether past or present you know what i'm saying mm -hmm. uh just everybody just paying homage to everybody who inspired us musically and so that's what we did and we used it we were we were we were uh, very creative with that like we used the albums and different ones but we used them in a different you know what i'm saying like you know i would cha 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 with mc light in between spitting raw 16s like i was big daddy kane you know what i'm saying so so yeah. just using it in different ways instead of just saying i was listening to mc light and did it nah we was do 
different things, you know what I'm saying? So right. you're going to hear stuff like that, references like that, you know? So it was a dope experience, dope to write, dope to, you know, roam around in my head about what I was going to say. And that's what you always try to do. Like, I'm always trying to push my pen and, you know, go places with my mind that I ain't been. So that's right. Help bring that out of me. Yep. Wow. Yep. Well, I tell you, it's dope tracks on there, and um, I want to make sure that we get, we got your your latest. I believe because because I get, I mean, like I said, West be coming out with stuff all the time, but I know you have a website, yeah, you do, KennelworthKatrina.com, yeah. where you got a whole bunch of music here, and yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, this this is exciting stuff, man. I love the the you know I love the way your voices work together and your vibes are definitely similar. So you guys definitely have some great chemistry. Uh, on the joints and look forward now that you know looks like the country is opening up we'll see you out there live performing uh what would you For say sure. is coming up next to you in the short term future now that you are fully a california veteran now and uh yeah yeah that's yeah. <laughs> out to san jose because my nephew used to live in Canberra. Yeah. that's not too far from san jose so uh okay okay shout, shout out to san jose and uh, what's next okay. for you, Kenworth Katrina? How, how how much more are you going to be planting your roots down before you really get out and uh, start hitting the streets with them uh, live performances out here in Cali? Oh, man, I'm, I definitely, um, I've been performing since, like, uh, two days after I touched down, and I haven't stopped. Oh, wow, <laughs> look at that. I got a show today, um, actually. Um, it starts mm. at 1, but, um, but I'll be there. You know what I'm saying? That's in Hayward, California. And um, so I just I've been performing everywhere. Like I told you, in Oakland, uh, Fremont, of course, mm. here in San Jose, mm-hmm. um, shit, uh, Sunnyvale. Uh, yep. You know, I've been all I've been around L.A. Of course. Right. Um, so I've, I'm 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 moving around. I'm moving around definitely. So man. I gotta say, man, that's what's next. Just doing shows. Um, I just went to the studio yesterday. Um, and recorded my single that's called Mood, um, M uh, O O D, Mood, mm-hmm. and uh, that'll be dropping soon. So, everybody, you know, be looking out for that. You know what I'm saying? It's a dope wow. little Cali type vibe, right? I'm still DC on it though. So, you know, like everybody gonna love it. It's, it's a fun, feel good record, and uh, <clears throat> you're gonna hear little elements of everything in that too, little jazz and that little hip-hop like it's just dope it's a dope feel-good record so y'all be looking out for that absolutely absolutely well it don't stop she said if she had to take a plane down to la and be there in an hour or if she had to take that five and a half six hours she's there i'm gonna do it that's right she's gonna do it that's right that's what i came here for that's That's what she came here for it's like man i mean you're 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 a lesson in um how to really do it you know, Katrina, I'm not even going to front. I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, of course, we love the major artists, the major superstars, but it's like, I, I like, I love this side of the industry. You know, it not only has yeah. it enabled me to have a career where I can have my foot in multiple things, you know, I do my psychology yeah. during the day and I can do this. For sure, that's dope, man. Congrats that. to you on that too, brother. I got to salute you for that. <laughs> I got to salute you for that, for real. Yeah. Good looking for out. Sure. Good looking out. I appreciate for that. Sure. But it's it's all you know. It, you have to everybody. You you kind of said it earlier. It's like you kind of have to find your own thing. You kind of have to find your own tribe yep. within your own calling, 
so that you can find that proper balance for you because it's not going to be anybody right. it's not for anybody else to tell you what that balance for you is going to be yeah and you can't let nobody do that either because oh. what works for you might not work for them and what works for them might not like everybody got their own individual right way. that's right. what makes the story that's what you makes feel the story. me Yes. That's what makes the story. But if everybody did everything the same, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so it's right. like, yeah, some people yeah. going to be homeless and some not. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. Some people right. going to be, you know, they going like everybody ain't got to be homeless to get there. Everybody ain't got to sell drugs to get there. Everybody like mm-hmm. everybody going to have their own story. That's right. You That's know, right. That's right. That's it. Well, yeah, you telling yours. So, uh, what's the best way for people to keep in touch with you? Uh, keep track of your musical releases and uh, follow your work, good sister. For sure, um, it's um, Kenilworth Katrina. Uh, that's on all social medias. That's on from uh, Spotify to YouTube to uh, Instagram, everything. Kenilworth Katrina, um, and then as far as um, my website, that's KenilworthKatrina dot com. You know what I'm saying? So you can keep up. Can you break we'll that down like for that. us? Everything is Absolutely. Can you yep. spell Kenner Worth for us? Because when Wes first said, yep, I'm like, can you repeat that for me, brother? How, how, how do you I spell know, that? I know, right? I know. So shout out to Kenner man. Northeast, man, forever. You know what I'm saying? That's mm. my hood. Kenner for life, man. And that's K-E-N-I-L-W-O-R-T-H. Kenner And... Katrina with the K as well, K A T R I N A. So yeah, man, Kenilworth Katrina, man, repping Kenilworth Avenue, Northeast Washington D.C. Ah, you know what there I'm we saying? go. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Man, repping yeah. all day. See, that's what I'm saying. It's like you take yeah. your passions with you. She already, she all the way out here on the other coast, y'all. But she's still Kenilworth. You know what I'm saying? That's right. For that's life, forever. For life, yeah. forever. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. you're welcome here anytime, good sister. And uh, I really appreciate Thank you making so a little much. time for us. It's been fun. And uh hope Thank you, come you. Back yes, again. Yeah, I hope you come back again and do it again, okay? For sure. Thank you so much for having me, man. Appreciate you. This is KCWG, the truth.com's program's called Psychotic Bump School. My name is DJ Rome. That was the good sister, Kenilworth Katrina. Stay tuned for more. We'll be right back after this. Hey everybody, this is Asher Lobb, and you're listening to DJ Rome on Psychotic Bump School the place where education and entertainment meet at the intersection of funk and soul.
back. KCWG, thetruth.com. This program is called Psychotic Bump School. My name is DJ Rome. And ladies and gentlemen, uh, every once in a while, I like to have some very, very eclectic artists on the show. And this segment right here will be no different. This guy right here is pretty emblematic of the, 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 the quintessential renaissance man in modern music he literally does so many things so many things even the dogs in the background over here are all over this cat he began playing classical music at the tender age of two years old and by the time he was 13 he was already playing with the buffalo philharmonic and since that time he's played in some of the largest venues uh known all over the world he's played some uh, amazing gigs for some prominent uh, media figures that you have all heard about. I'll let him share in a minute. Uh, his primary instrument is the violin, but the this guy is a DJ, a dancer, uh, a mixer, an engineer. This guy does it all. So ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, please welcome for the very first time to Psychotic Bump School, Mr. Asher Laub. Mr. Laub. Hello. First of all, tell me how to say the last name correctly. You got it right. How about hey, that? Right on, man. How are you doing? Uh, been, I'm I'm great. Um, this past week was a little little tough with the weather changes, but I'm I'm feeling a lot better now. Yeah, and I'm thrilled to be on the show with you. Oh, we're glad to have you, man. Take care of yourself out there. I'm hearing the gruff in your voice. I've been coughing out here because in California, you're you're in New York, right? Yeah. Well, you know, you can't help but you, you got to look out for the kids. You know, I got two kids who are just coughing all over me for, for two weeks, so oh, it's bound to happen. It's bound to happen. It's bound to happen. Well, welcome to the program. Wow, you've had quite a journey from <laughs> young childhood now uh, as a father. I didn't even know about that aspect of you, so maybe we could work that in a little bit too. But sure, man, what what is it that you do when you when people ask you what does Asher do? You you can't can you encompass that in a sentence? You can't. You do so many different things, man. You 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 play the violin. So, where, would you say what was the merger between dance? DJing and violin. Uh, how did it all start? <clears throat> Honestly, everything just sort of evolved naturally. And, and I totally get what you're saying. It's, it's, it's funny how I can't just say, oh yeah, I'm, I'm a violinist and producer because uh, I'm wearing a lot of other hats too. Yep. Yep. So that doesn't tell the whole story within, by far. Yeah. Within the performance realm, uh, I've sort of adapted to demand, which is interesting. You know, I, I've noticed there's, there's been, some some heavy demand for the choreography uh especially in the concert setting so like when we're talking large-scale concerts i you know i tend to push that because that's really engaging for people mm -hmm. um you know when it comes to like private events i'm doing cute things like you know like playing playing violin like playing 16th notes while uh hanging around on, on the the hoverboard that's just something people oh, like wow. <laughs> uh, <laughs> nice um uh, you know, I don't know. I, I, I guess, you know, it's, uh, you could check out some of my, my older videos. And uh, that's when I started doing flips uh, with with breakdancers. And uh, I just that was sort of like the ultimate expression from my vantage point of uh, getting better. Um, I, I was I was sick for for quite a while prior to that, lost my mm. career. And when I regra regained strength, I, I I shifted, I pivoted from just, you know, classical musician, studio musician to this sort of higher energy, more physically oriented uh, performer. Mm -hmm. so, now, I'm of the mindset that a violinist in particular, now you, you play violin or viola, and is there a distinction between the two that we should be aware of? 
Yeah, that's a good question. Um, different different note, the fourth note. Uh, viola is a bit um, thicker, larger. It's it's basically between a a violin and a cello in terms of just mm. um, the notes and and just the the size. Um, mm. If that makes sense, the it octaves. does. It does. So, is the sound different? In what way is the sound? Because you said it's closer to a cello. The viola is. Yeah, it's it's deeper. So okay. Yeah, so I am I am a primarily a violinist. I could also play viola, but I don't really invite those types of opportunities. Okay. Well. Okay. Um, I mean, are stick you, to violin. well, it, and what additional flexibility does that give you in terms of access to gigs or performances? What does performing on the violin enable you to do that you're not able to do on the viola? Um, well, I, I always honestly, I, I always saw the violin as as, as having more opportunities than something like the viola um mm -hmm. just because it's more of a solo upfront solo instrument higher register so yeah. sort of like the equivalent of soprano um mm -hmm. I, so yeah I, I guess that's it uh i i i mean i haven't really had the need to to do anything with the viola professionally it's not like okay. I, I think that i would have had more opportunities if i pushed myself as a violist because i would it just would have eclipsed mm -hmm. my violin opportunities and I'm doing about 200 events a year. So um, between concerts and private events, stuff like that on average, uh, and they're all violin oriented. And I have had many people and, and DJ oriented also, uh, but, but I have had many people ask me to, okay, can you do this too? And do that? Can you, can you sing? Can you play this other instrument guitar? I'm like, yeah, but I don't want to, like, I, I want, I don't want to, like I do enough as it is as a violinist and, and live performer producer. It's like, yeah. I do enough. What more can I do for you? I do it all already. <laughs> what more yeah. do you want? So, yeah, that's what I'm talking about, because the, the violin and particularly the genre of classical music, I mean, I might be going too far with this assumption, but don't you have to work kind of harder to, to, to get a mainstream sort of appeal or reputation that you sort of have uh, an awareness to hip modern day culture? Uh, even though you have this really strong mm -hmm. classical sensibility that you're incorporating into uh, modern day, um, I, I think a, a classical yeah. artist has to work harder, wouldn't you say? Yeah, well, uh, oh, as opposed to other instruments or other types of performers, I would say for sure. Um, like, mm -hmm. you know, a singer, I, I feel like there's more, if you're a good singer, I, I feel like there's more um, opportunities, there's more demand, um, even, even in terms of getting signed to a label. Uh, if you're a DJ, I feel like if you're a solid DJ, there's there's more opportunities. Um, mm -hmm. And just as somebody who's who who works with DJs and does does production that type of stuff. Uh, but yeah, violent, and then that's part of why I wear so many hats. Um, which mm -hmm. is why you know you're obviously you know what you're doing here. You got you got some good insights. Uh, I oh, yeah. I adapt. What's that? Yeah, yeah, I'm listening to you. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, yeah. So I, I've been adapting uh, since uh, I'm going to say first year in college when I started playing professionally on the scene, uh, New York scene, uh, just sort of dabbling different different forms of the performance with the violin. So, uh, you know, jazz, pop, that kind of stuff, uh, learning how to improvise. That's that's uh, not the easiest thing to do and to to have like a large repertoire uh, memorized, you know, right there's yeah there's there's like millions of songs to learn out there and there's and people can get bored easily these days um it sure can it's so it's yeah true. it is a, it is a struggle but it's a struggle that i invite and it's something that i really enjoy yeah 
Well, the rapper Talib Kweli um, had an album called The Beautiful Struggle. So it sounds like this journey sort of um, symbolizes that too. Now, yeah. you mentioned somebody said, hey, do you play guitar? Yeah, I could, but I don't want to. My instrument is kind of violin. But the, 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 the guitar player, the lead guitar player has sort of a, a, a renowned uh, resonance with the, the music buying public. And if you're a lead guitarist of a band, it seemed like they are the ones who historically always get all the girls. They always get all the attention and they're <laughs> kind of headstrong and cocky because when you play sort of a solo lead instrument and, you know, and, and I'm talking a lead guitarist. I mean, the rhythm guitarist does their thing and it's a crucial role. There's a group called the Eagles rock group. They had three guitar oh, yeah. players in that group. It was Joe Wall, <laughs> Fry, but the lead guitarist, I mean, I can't remember all of their names, but you're only going to have one Eddie Van Halen and, you know, and I'm jumping bands and everything, but uh -huh. what, what yeah. can you talk or about? One slash. They, yeah. Guns and Roses. Right. And yeah. so how, what, how would you, how would you articulate the swagger of a violin player who has to compete for the lack of a better term for the respect of having mastery of your instrument? as well as having the appeal with the audience from a performance standpoint. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, well, you know, I, it's always, it, it's still something I'm learning, uh, having done, you know, professional music for about 20 years on the scene at mm -hmm. this point. I, I'm always forgetting, you know, I'm focused so much, so much on my fingers, on my fingering and just playing the notes in, in, the, in the correct genre. Uh, in, mm -hmm. you know, I'm always trying to, I'm struggling trying to not to be, be a classical musician while playing like a pop song or jazz songs. You know, it's, it's, it, it's a challenge, it's a specific skill, but also it's in the facial expressions. It's in the body movements. It's, uh, it's really just an art in, in, in every, every inch of your body and, uh, to do it right. Mm -hmm. And I think that, uh, you know, I see some comments in some of my videos, for instance, I, I did like this, uh, this MTV concert, I'm trying to remember the name. It was like, it was, it was like a, a, it was a cover of Can't Solve the Feeling. If you, you guys want to check it on YouTube. And uh, there's two stages. There's myself with two break dancers. And then there's, there's like a competing violinist with two break dancers. And I actually brought her on. Uh, but people keep commenting on how she was sort of like sleepy on the, on the bandstand uh, while playing a pop song. Like she was pretty much playing some mellow classical piece. And it makes all the difference in terms of a live performance. And, and it, I, you know, the, the comments that they make you kind of cringe sometimes. And, uh, and as a result, it's, you know, you work extra hard to make sure that, uh, you don't get, you don't get those comments. Well, what, what was cringeworthy about the comments? Well, uh, they, they were commenting on the, you know, the, it was, I didn't really elaborate much on, on the nature of the performance, but it was this pretty much, pretty much large scale, uh, concert where, you know, type festival where uh, I was on one side with my break dancers, the color blue, and then it was sort of co in competition with, you know, uh, the violinist on the other side and color green and the dan their, her, uh, her associated dancers. And she was just sort of like hanging out and, and not playing with much facial expression or body expression. Okay. Um, and I was doing choreography with my dancers. So naturally we won. Uh -huh kind of thing but um right. she was part of it, it was part of a performance we did we did to sort of show this equivalent competition to what was going on in the, at that event um mm. and uh this mtv event so yeah. people climbing a wall there was like green green people climbing one side of a wall and then blue people climbing the other side of the wall so it was one team against the other and we were doing a performance that was sort of reflecting that 
that mm-hmm. uh, competition, if that makes sense. Oh, anyway. Sweet. Yeah, sweet, sweet. Well, you're known for genre bending, right? I had a chance to see this group yep. called Black Violin, like right before the country shut down from coronavirus. I had a chance to take the family to go see Black Violin. They came oh, yeah. uh, to Northern California. And uh-huh. when I was a substitute teacher in Southern California, uh, I had a, you know, I was filling in for a teacher and they had booked a, a violinist to come to the classroom. And it was somebody that I knew from the music scene, you know, being from LA at that time. Uh, his name was Miguel Atwood Ferguson, outstanding violin player. And he's played with some of uh, some amazing, amazing talents. And he played for my students that day. And then the last thing that I'm going to toss it to you, um, I'm a real, you, you, you can tell by the name of the show, right? I'm a, I'm a serious P-Funk head, right? I love George Clinton, Parliament Funkadelic. Prince, the whole funk, Stevie Wonder, all that funky stuff, right? So there's who doesn't who doesn't, right? And so Lily Hayden is someone I had previously heard of, and I saw her do this beautiful rendition of the funkadelic classic Maggot Brain. And so every time I think about somebody covering a song like that, that is so expressive on guitar when Eddie Hazel played it, and to hear it from uh, a, a violinist was was bone chilling, man. Can you talk about mm. what it's like for you when you cover songs that are primarily originally presented with a different voice or instrument and you do your own interpolation of it? Uh, how much pressure is that to recreate that magic and do it in an astrolabe kind of form? What's that like for you? Well, I got to tell you, I, I've got to, whenever there's the, the one time that there's pressures when I'm, when I'm, you know, in the company of musical geniuses, which, um, mm. it, it makes me feel like, man, I, I really should have practiced a little harder, like particularly <laughs> when we're playing like heavy duty jazz, I don't feel as overwhelmed, um, in other contexts, uh, generally, I, I feel pretty confident in, in my unique niche as a violinist, uh, even when I'm around other classical musicians, because what I'm doing is kind of uniquely me and I've been doing it for like my entire life. So, mm-hmm. uh, in terms of the, addressing like the tones, yeah, that's, that's a whole game in itself. Um, first of all, aside from the performance, you, you gotta get the tones. So you gotta, it, it just, just tweaking your sound, your EQ, your, just your board, your pedal board is, is a whole art in itself. And, you know, when you're playing heavy funk, it's, I'm just, Sometimes I actually feel like violin doesn't, the, the violin tone doesn't, it, it's not, it doesn't have that umph uh, enough. And, mm. and I switch it to electric guitar, electric wah. And uh, that's sort mm. of like the versatility of the electric violin, which is why I prefer to, to play that more often than not. Ah, sweet. And that gives you, so it sounds like, I mean, I'm, I'm not a musician like you are. So that gives you an edge because to, to switch the pedal like that, to give you that kind of, what what is the what does the violin then sound like? It, it sort of wails a little bit more. It cries. What does it do? Well, it simulates pretty closely an electric guitar, which might make you wonder. Okay, well, well what's the point? Why don't you just play the guitar? But uh, uh, yeah. the, 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 I, I'm switching between the tones. So I, you mm. know, I'm playing like clean violin. I'm playing funky violin. I'm playing, you know, like then I'm playing funk type electric guitar um which i think people can distinguish between like a standard electric guitar and and, and my tones at least that's the you know when i'm playing on stage that's uh, i'm able to distinguish right. uh and, and and also like the visual of people are like oh yeah that's that's a cool concept and just because I, i'm the most skilled on the violin uh and it's fretless so i'm able to kind of move across positions pretty 
seamlessly. Mm. It just uh, it lends itself to to like a pretty funky vibe, if you know what I mean. <laughs> it just <laughs> improvisation, which is the name of the game with a lot of the funk music, is uh, it's it's more it's comfortable. It's Absolutely. comfortable for my fingers. And see, that's really... yeah. Go ahead. What's go... that? No, go ahead. Go ahead. I can't really articulate uh, so much as uh, as much as I can actually play and sort of display what I mean. But absolutely, yeah, no, you, hopefully... you can show us. Yeah, you can show us better than you could tell us, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but see, I never. There's something I never understood about you guys, man. And the same thing for trombone players, like great ones like Fred Wesley, and I'm sure I'm leaving out a whole bunch of other ones, trombone shorty, all of you guys with this, this there's no mapping to me. I mean, to, this is this is a lay person's opinion of the instrument that you've mastered. It's like, how do you know where you are without frets, man? I used to play guitar and I'm like, how do you know where you are? Because even when you play and you, you you were talking a second ago about emulating a guitar sound, right? Because sometimes you play with your thumbs, right? You you like strum the you strum the violin as opposed to using your bow, right? So yeah, that, sometimes yeah, whole, yeah, right, and that gives you a whole different type of sound too, right? Yeah. Uh, so the the positioning is what you what you learn at you know at a young age, and and that's how you're able to sort of avoid the need of the frets. Uh, there's something called you know, the, the, basically the wood of the violin. Um, I wish I could show it to you guys, but um, the, pretty much by third position, your, your hand um, touches the wood. So, you, you know, mm. if you just can envision the picture of the, uh, you know, the, the circular portion of the, vi of, of the wood, and then there's the neck of the violin, which, which is where, where all the notes go, mm -hmm. um, which is where the finger plays. Uh, you have to feel your way through each of the notes. And uh, that's what positioning is all about. So it's first position, second position, third position. And uh, first position is closer to the nut. Uh, and, and that's and you sort of keep once you're in when you're in first position, you can play an entire song there. And mm. and once you kind of know where an A is and the B and a D, it's it's not it's not so complicated. And that's what really rehearsing scales is all about. Um, wow. I don't know. Some some hopefully that somehow gives you an idea. Yeah, it does. It does. And yeah, man, there, there's so much I want to ask you because just learning the instrument, I mean, you're classically trained. Is it fair to say you're classically trained? A hundred percent. That's where it all started for me. That's where it all started. And at what point did jazz come into that? Unfortunately, way, way later in the game. So um, I'm Why talking. Well, because if I had started off earlier, uh, that, I think that that would have been even more useful for my career, um, mm. learning like deep improv. Mm -hmm. uh i my brain wasn't really thinking about that stuff till junior year in high school mm. wow. so there was a gap of 16 16 years 17 years well but even back then i'm sure your band instructor was noticing or your orchestra instructor was noticing that you had a prowess and you had a natural affinity or affluence with the instrument how soon did he pick up on the fact that you were an aspiring soloist did he have to did you do it kicking and screaming or you did this voluntarily? It's funny because I, I, I did it voluntarily and it's my orchestra instructor that specifically did not pay attention to that. And it's the band instructor mm -hmm. in this thought, you know, it was a thousand person school. There are a lot of opportunities there uh, who did recognize that. And I, and I got to jam along as the only vi violinist to the band. Um, uh, so that's where it all started. 
Oh man, never look back, right? So what was the composition of that band and what made it so comfortable for you? Oh, uh, let me try to remember. Uh, what did I play that many years ago? I mean, that was just so long ago. But it felt I, natural, I, huh? It felt like it, like you always belong there, right? It did. And I felt like, what the hell am I doing with the orchestra? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. And so that's why now to this day, you play with a band. Uh, you have a DJ set up as well, right? And uh, yeah. Yeah. So how, how does all that, how do you determine uh, what you're going to bring to a gig? Does it depend on what the, the client wants or you kind of have your show kind of mapped out and people just kind of take what you're offering at that time? The client and the budget, uh, you know, if it's like a, I've actually done some large scale concerts where the band's just so small, you know, the, the budget's all in like the lighting and, and, you know, fill in the concert hall that, it, you know, it, it almost makes sense for me to just have a dedicated DJ supporting my music because mm. the music that's, that they're playing is, is like 26 piece orchestral production and they don't have the, the funds for like a huge a huge orchestra uh and sometimes it's a dj uh dj orchestra hybrid um oh, wow. so i guess i sort of take advantage of both opportunities right and also when it's electronic music people don't really expect to see you know 18 strings or you know whole yeah. wind section wow well you're very unique man you have quite a presentation going on um I want to hear about what you got coming up, man. You have had some amazing releases. You've played with some incredible people, man. I was looking at the some of the people you've played with or played for. Uh, you've done just about everything. Have you? Would you say you've accomplished? Have you played with your musical heroes? Have you? Have you fulfilled your uh, performance? Have you scratched your performer's itch to to play in the halls or the venues that you've always wanted? And if not, uh, how soon might they be on the horizon for you? Yeah, I have scratched that itch for the venues because uh, I, I have okay. been privileged to play, you know, pretty much the most prestigious venues uh, and uh, and and play with some some yeah some major artists as, as you mentioned. Um, but I haven't scratched the itch of of like a worldwide tour, uh, mm. like consistently doing doing the music that I really want in the context that I want. Yeah. Um, so that's a work in progress yeah um and, and it's not and i don't need and i don't have i do have bucket lists with respect to you know love to play with guys like john mayer or i don't know oh, yeah. there's tons of legends out there but i i you know it's it's not it's not just about like bragging rights hey i play with this celebrity and that celebrity like you know uh it's it's more about like the music and 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 Exactly. The, the context for me, like the like, how genuinely interested are 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 the listeners, is the audience in your performance? Like that, that's the most meaningful to me because I've done like pretty much everything on the sun in terms of just production level. Uh, and yeah, yeah, like yeah, I don't know. I play. I I, I mentioned on, uh, on a couple interviews. I played for uh, King Muhammad the Sixth. Uh, who's a uh, king of uh i, I was like i'm thinking brunei uh king of uh uh morocco you know like that that's pretty oh, much bucket cool. list right there for a lot of people right. and and that was awesome but you know i bucket real bucket list for me is is playing my, like my my album for for all my listeners that are like the people that are coming on Facebook that are always supporting me weekly 
uh, and on social media in general and like sending me DMs and they're like, actually, I want to actually meet them, you mm -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. So that's more or less bucket list for me. Really appreciative of your fans, man. That's great. Uh, you mentioned your Facebook page, man. Thank you for being here, man. This is, I, I could have this conversation all day. I mean, cause I could just pick your brain and just have fun. Just, just, just pulling things out. Uh, in addition to your Facebook page, what's the best way for people to keep in touch with you and uh, follow your career and what you got going on, man? Uh, I would say astrolob.com is the easiest way to connect with me. And that'll direct you to like Instagram, TikTok, and send me some DMs, guys. Say hello. Send yeah. some love. Tell me the music you're listening to. Spotify, all my music's on there. Mm -hmm. Man, man. Well, continue success to you, man. And uh, I can't thank you enough. This has been great. And I'd love for you to come back sometime, actually. Would you be willing to do that? I'd love to. Anytime. Okay. Well, that's our show, y'all. Psychotic Bump School is the place where education and entertainment meet at the intersection of funk and soul. My name is DJ Rome, and you know we're here every Monday evening from 5.30 p.m. to 7 p.m. Pacific time, and it repeats again on Friday evenings from 6.30 p.m. to 8 p.m. Pacific time. Check back with us. We shall return next week. Also want to thank our very, very special guests for the evening, Hannibal Taboo, Asher Laub, and Kenilworth Katrina. Also want to send a very, very special shout out to Mr. Frank Starks, who is the Iron Man behind the board. And we're out of here, y'all. Take care.